Hi there and welcome back to Amplify, the digital marketing entrepreneur podcast. Happy New Year. If you're listening as this comes out, here's wishing you a great 2020. I'm Bob Gentle and every week I'm joined by creators, consultants and practitioners who share what makes their business work. Whether you run your own business or you're just thinking of stepping out on your own for the first time, you're in the right place. If you're new to the show, then welcome along. Just take a second right now to subscribe in your podcast player so you don't miss new weekly episodes and you can dig into some older ones when you finish this one. If it's your first time joining us for the show, then you'll probably want to join our Facebook group. Just visit the shortcut URL at amplifyme.fm forward slash insiders and you'll be taken right there. There are a lot of things you can do to build your business online. Virtual summits, email marketing, live streaming, podcasting, write a book or a YouTube channel. And if you try and do it all, you'd be bad at it all. And this week, my guest is David Bain. And over the last 15 years, he's done it all and got good at it all. In this episode, he shares his journey and his perspective on how you can build the skills in one platform, which logically leads to the next and over time allows you to do much more, much better. So welcome along and let's meet David. So this week on the podcast, my guest is David Bain, who his business is called Marketing Now. He's written a book called Marketing Now. David, do you want to maybe just tell us a little bit about who you are, where you are and the kind of work you do? Hey, Bob. Great to be on with you. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you. Um, So I guess I've um, been involved in digital marketing, stroke marketing for an awful long time now. I um, actually launched my first business online in the year 2000 and started making a fairly decent income about 2004, 2005 or so when Google AdSense came along, got involved with digital marketing training and producing my own digital marketing uh, seminars uh, over over a day um, about 2007 or so. And um, since then, I've, I've worked uh, for a couple of agencies and, and senior in-house roles as well. And um, I've also, uh, as you alluded to, uh, l- launched a book fairly recently called Marketing Now based upon a, a series of podcasts that I've been doing over the last five years or so. I think your podcast is, is really where I discovered you first. Um, I think having sort of done my research for the show, you really were very early to the party in terms of digital marketing uh, and also to podcasting. I think when I look at, when I, I'll be honest, very honest, when I benchmark how my podcast is doing in iTunes, I'm usually measuring it against where yours is. Um, <laughs> and yours has really done very well over the years. Um, it, it, it has over the years. I haven't been focusing too much on digital marketing radio recently, that, that podcast you were talking about there. I think for three or four years I was um, producing a podcast at least, uh, an episode at least every week or so. It was September 2014, if I recall correctly, that I, I launched the show. And for a while I was ranking top top 10 top 20 for digital mar- marketing and, th- and that that was that was driving a decent number of downloads a month yeah you still are ranking top 20 okay it's <laughs> really annoying the thing <laughs> is it's, it's tough because i i'm not intending to move forward with that brand i move i'm intending to move forward with the marketing now brand and i guess the, the key thought is well do i attempt to retain the existing rss feed and um 
publish the new brands, the new episodes through that? Or should I forward that and relaunch the show completely and um, have a different RSS feeds? I, I think there are pros and cons for that. Yeah, I've, I've heard other people have similar cost questions. Um, and yeah, it's a tough one to answer, I think. So you mentioned the new brand and that obviously brings me to the Marketing Now book. Book writing is something that it would be very difficult to claim is, is part of the digital marketing spectrum. But actually, when you look at the long term value of content and content marketing, books are right there as the pinnacle, really. What was your rationale behind the book? Um, well, it's it's be funny because uh, the way you, you're saying that um, books aren't really part of digital marketing and I, 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 I agree with that but I have now come to the belief that marketing is digital marketing and digital marketing is marketing and I, 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 the first hard copy book that I published was back in early 2017 and that was called Digital Marketing in 2017 and Mark Asquith uh, wrote the forward to that and Mark said marketing is now digital marketing or digital marketing is now marketing i wasn't entirely sure that i completely agreed with them at the time because yeah. i knew a lot of marketers who weren't savvy when it came to digital and and, and what worked and martech and all those kind of um, things but but now i think the the, the general belief and, and abilities of, of marketers have have improved and uh, and I think it certainly has come together and and it's important to think of marketing as everything together and when you do that then you realize actually content can be published on any platform and it doesn't have to be consumed online and offline and it reminds me funnily enough of um, the semantics of um, describing what I do because back 10 years ago it was internet marketing because everything was consumed digitally um, or consumed online sorry um, and then you're know, looking at Google um, trends you could see the phrase digital marketing was rising and it was actually about the time when the, the Kindle launched and if you think about it Kindle books can be are in digital form, but they can be consumed offline. So digital marketing is about the consumption of digital content, but it doesn't necessarily have to be online. So that's why the phrase digital marketing became more popular, I think, than than internet marketing as well as the fact that internet marketing was associated with <laughs> get rich quick schemes online. But then you have marketing and that embraces traditional marketing models and traditional great practice and other mediums tied together with digital marketing including including books and that, that, that's that got to be part of the digital mix now yeah and i think as alongside that in 2005 the internet was almost a parallel universe mm. whereas now the internet and the real world they're pretty much one and the same so marketing it is pretty much digital marketing these days. There's there's very little in human experience that isn't digital now. Yeah, if you promoted a business in any way in digital in 2005, you were more likely an IT geek sitting in the corner and not talking to anyone else in a marketing department. Yeah, 
which was a very nice place for some people. <laughs> so, again, looking at the book, one of the questions that I always have for people who've written books, particularly business books, in fact, only business books, it wouldn't work with sci-fi, but is what does your back end look like? Now, I'm not going to ask you to answer that question just now because I think what the question is suggesting to me is why a book can be part of an online business because it's where you reach an audience but how you then convert that audience into uh, value for your business is where the digital marketing, internet marketing, online business element comes in. So is there something that you've pre-mapped out and if there is, how much of that did you plan in before you wrote the book? Sorry, it's a slightly long, I, uh, awkward question. I, I, I you'll know what I mean. Going, yes. I, I, I don't think it's possible to plan everything out, but I think it's important to plan out calls to actions and a path that you would like readers to take after they, 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 they finish some or all of your book. And the book's split up into three key sections. And um, at the end of each section, um, actually just to backtrack a little bit, back, back we're recording this in January 2020, and then um, kind of back last month, um, December um, 2019, when I launched the book, I also recorded um, or live-streamed um, eight hours of content with 30-odd marketers who were part of making the book. And as part of the live stream, I recorded workshops looking into the individual sections of each book, uh, giving specific examples um, uh, with regards to what businesses should do to implement the knowledge contained in the book. So I've got these workshop recordings. So what I do at the end of each section of the book is I say, right, you've completed this section of the book. Now you need to go and watch the implementation workshop video. You can find that over at davidbain.com slash marketing now go to that so people go to that page and they sign up uh, for free to watch the workshop video and then I've got people integrated into my digital mix they they're watching my videos and then they're subscribed to my email updates to um, receive more information from me and that all makes perfect sense and it, it clearly you had done a little bit of forethought there and you can never I guess predict what opportunities are going to crop up once your audience starts to engage but it certainly makes sense to do some of that work in advance um, how long has the book actually been out now oh it's just been out about a month or so so it mm. was um, launched on I it was think at the 10th of December and you really do have a star lineup in terms of contributors do you want to maybe just take us a on a little journey through some of that yeah sure i mean it probably depends on i guess what um digital marketers really float to your boat um <laughs> <laughs> i mean i've i've got um uh, people who have created great uh, martech businesses i've got um you know people like larry kim in there as well um kind of Teresa heath wearing i've got evan carmichael if you know him from youtube he's um he's incredible on youtube produces th three great videos every single day on youtube um, Mark Trapp Hagen's a, 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 a wonderful um, content marketer as well. Um, the thing is, it's so hard to actually shout out individual names because it's about the advice more than the names. Um, Andrea Val, that's probably a name that um, 
that, that, that a lot of people will know. But there's a total of 134 marketers in there. And I produce the content by getting people on a live stream and giving them all three minutes to share their number one actionable marketing tip. And then I took that content and, and made the book from there. Now, this is somewhere I wanted to go because when I looked at the list of contributors to your book, it's really impressive. And what I was curious to know is obviously some guy off the street could not pull that off. How was that network built? And my I'm going to answer that question myself. I'm going to take a bit of a gamble and say it would potentially have been through your podcasting journey. Absolutely. Uh, that's that's it. So uh, <laughs> you just answer every question, Bob. And uh, <laughs> you, 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 I mean, you know yourself. It's um, Podcasting is a wonderful way of meeting people and forming great relationships. Uh, I mean, I actually published my first podcast in 2006, but I, d I didn't get really serious about it until, to, until 2014 when I started Digital Marketing Radio. And um, for that particular show, I interviewed over 200 people. Over the last five years, I've probably interviewed about 500 different top marketers around the world. And if you have half-hour conversations with, with, with great people and you, you get on well with them, then you, you, you want to keep in touch with them. And that's kind of what I thought to begin with. So after just over a year of doing digital marketing radio, I was thinking, okay, what's, what's a great way of keeping these relationships going? And I thought, okay, well, why not have an end of year recap show? So at the end of 2015, I had about 60, I think it was, of the guests that had been on the show so far all join me, all do a similar kind of thing, kind of give their number one, I think it was their the number one thing that had happened in the year that, that, that they thought was most important um, rather, rather than an actual tip, tip for, 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 the, for, the, for the coming year. Um, but but it was really good. I actually did that on, on Blab, if you remember that. Blab was a, it was a wonderful platform for interacting on. It was um, one of the first... Um, online platforms that you could really go to and interact on and because it was one of the first there was so much engagement there um you, you literally just went live and you had hundreds of people watching sometimes and lots of people interacting it was a great platform so recorded the content on there um but but but, but that was the beginning of my journey from um going from podcasting to writing a book and keeping those relationships going that i made as a result of recording those podcast episodes that sounds like a lot of fun. Um, the, I, I like the idea of bringing everyone together for a live stream, although the technical logistics of that just melt my brain. Yes. But there's yeah. almost certainly a way around it. <laughs> it is, uh, um, it is, I was going to say, horrendously challenging. It's kind of fun as well, but you've got to be prepared to be quite stressed uh, about hopefully making sure the whole thing comes together okay and you don't have any significant technical challenge that means that the whole thing falls down completely um, one of the live streams that I, I put on I just couldn't get the the video to work properly and I ended up having one of the guests jump in and host the first hour from me um, without oh, even goodness. arranging it actually and uh, that was that was a four-hour live stream so that was that was a bit stressful but you like like doing podcasting like doing anything online unless you push the boundaries a little bit and come through those kinds of lessons and experiences then you're you're not ex improving as, as as quickly as you you might otherwise do 
So one of the things I'd like to speak about is obviously you've you've written a book. You've got a lot of things going on that are your own, but you're also working for some other people as well, but not in the tradition. Well, you have some sort of traditional clients. I'm struggling to really articulate I'm my question. I'm juggling the Yeah, you know where <laughs> I want to go. Um, what does your world look like, I guess, commercially? I've, um, yeah, I've got a few things going on. So uh, as as a result of doing hopefully a decent job of uh, producing podcasts, hosting live webinars, I've had a couple of people approach me, um, including SEM Rush. So SEM Rush are a massive um, MarTech brand focusing primarily on, on SEO. And I've hosted over 50 uh, kind of live streams and podcast episodes for them, producing those shows for them. Uh, I've also hosted massive um, virtual summits for Larry Kim, uh, specifically his new brand, Mobile Monkey. Uh, Larry Kim used to, uh, well, he founded WordStream and mm. sold that company and then um, founded uh, Mobile Monkey. And the, the, the virtual summits that's, that he puts together are, are incredible as well because you've got something like three or 4,000 people often on the live call that um, are interacting. And um, the live streams are for eight or nine hours long. <laughs> so those are crazy events that I um, often host for, for Mobile Monkey. Uh, and as well as doing that, I do s some podcast production um, for a couple of clients. Um, for example, there's a, a barrister in London called Four New Square. I, I host, uh, I produce and and, um, and um, kind of do everything for um, bringing together their shows. And which of those keeps you busiest? I guess it depends on the time of year. Uh, I mean, these massive virtual summits that I mentioned uh, for mobile monkey they only generally happen once every two months or so that that's at least a couple of days of solid work of research of preparation of um kind of guest preparation and the whole day of hosting the event is is very very intense as well because you've got to be online on form and um kind of be there uh, just in case anything um doesn't work out quite uh, correctly as well so uh, certainly when i'm doing that then th that's the most um kind of challenging time um, just to make sure that i get everything right um but then there's the uh, the consistent podcast that i produce maybe on a on a uh, fortnightly basis um, for a couple of clients as well now one of my jobs as the host is to anticipate what my audience would like to hear and pick your brain on their behalf and i've never actually spoken to anybody about virtual summits so i forgive me but i would like to dig into that a little bit can sure. you maybe for anybody that's never been involved in a virtual summit either as a contributor or as a consumer just give us a brief synopsis of what is a virtual summit and then i'd like to dig a little deeper after that sure i mean a virtual summit could be a couple of different things uh, i guess the most common way of doing it is where you get people to sign up to watch live and this is often a series of maybe a dozen or so different um, presentations in a particular um, topic or a particular industry sector and you've got maybe eight or 12 hours of live streamed presentations and you've got a, a fairly large audience that interacts and then often these live uh, these virtual summits are free to attend the live stream 
but then the content's taken down or people don't have access to watch the replays unless they, they, they sign up uh, to perhaps pay a small amount of money to watch the replays, then have access to uh, maybe, maybe something else, maybe a, a product uh, alongside the, 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 the recordings after the, the, the virtual summit. So um, in essence, it's um, a, a big day of live streams uh, behind a wall that people have to sign up to, to, to watch top presentations but in order to watch free you have to be there live and for those who've never I mean, the reason i think a lot of people on their digital marketing business journey think okay i need to be looking at virtual summits is because they're held to be a brilliant list building tool if you if you don't have much email marketing list a live stream can often be seen not a live stream a virtual summit can often be seen as a silver bullet for that yeah, I, I think I wouldn't agree with that. I, I, I think it depends generally on what partners you're producing the virtual summits with, you know, who's mm. taking part, who's willing to promote it. But it's an awful lot of work to put one on. You're talking about you know, at least a couple of weeks of solid work to to really put everything together. And then the day itself can be very intense as well. And you, you often can't ma make it um, very successful unless you've got a significant list yourself um, mm. to, to start off with. Um, so it's it's probably not the place to start. I, I think the obvious place to start is um, simply having a call to action in your website and um, um, a, a free um, PDF giveaway or a free small set of videos giveaway to to start building a list. Something very specific. It's not the size of the list now. It's you know making it very specific to to what you happen to be doing as a business. That that, that that's the starting point, I think. Yeah, no, I would agree. I think as a starting point, you're absolutely right. But that next step for those people that have established a bit of an audience, I think a virtual summit can be a great opportunity. It's an option. But again, it's the right thing at the right time. Yeah, guess, it's, it's, it's an option. I, I wouldn't say it's the first thing to do. I would say certainly if you're looking at it from a content production journey, then starting an audio podcast is the best way to go to begin with and to start building those relationships with people that could perhaps present at your virtual summit at some point in the future. Right. That makes sense. So for those people that would be ripe for virtual summits, and they will probably know who they are, what might be the number one things to avoid, I guess? I think others... For, for, for producing a virtual summit? Yeah. Yeah, look, um, you need to make sure that, um, obviously, technically, you're your setup so you've got a, a high quality computer that will handle multiple multiple videos coming into it and uh, being able to broadcast in fairly high uh, definition and produce an event you've got a high quality internet connection you know how to use a decent microphone and look into a camera and present in an engaging manner and engage with people in the chat at the same time as well. And you've got everything structured. Ideally, you'll have a little teleprompter in front of you that will um, be something you can read intros and outros from um, as, as well. So it's, it's, it's not going to be the first thing that you do. I mean, I always suggest kind of going through kind of four or five different steps, you know, starting off with um, an audio podcast, moving on to mastering decent quality audio and then after that moving on to pre-recorded video then live streaming so then embracing linkedin or 
YouTube or Facebook or wherever and actually looking at live chat and being able to ga engage with people in the live chat and then the next step after that is virtual summits. Unless you come through those steps of, you know, first of all, producing decent quality audio. Secondly, being able to look into a camera and um, kind of talk directly to that. Thirdly, engaging with a live audience and actually answer questions without losing your train of thoughts. Uh, then there's no point in moving on to a, uh, a virtual summit. Mm. I think the, the sum up there would be curb your enthusiasm and get good at each of the elements before you try and put them together. Yes, yeah, because there's yeah. so many people doing doing it now is people expect a certain standard, expect a certain quality. Um, whenever any, any business talks about um, their competitors now, I think they lose sight of the fact that actually, um, from a content marketing perspective, their competitors are not who they necessarily think they are because their target audience is engaging with all sorts of content and um, it's who's producing the content um, that are the competitors of the, the eyeballs that they're trying to attract. So I'm talking about Netflix, the BBC, you know, other big platforms there. Unless you can actually produce content that um, won't turn people off, i.e. Uh, ensure that the audio quality and video quality isn't horrendous um, compared with what they're used to consuming, then they're not going to continually consume your content and um, you're not going to build the authority of your brand. One of the things you spoke about before we started recording was the six steps to writing the book. And you you mentioned the four steps to the live to the um, virtual summit there. Are they related? And if yeah. not, we should probably speak about the process of writing the book because what you spoke to me about before we before we were recording was really very insightful. I would like to cover some of that if that's okay. Sure. Yes. I. I, I mean, to begin with, um, just going into a little bit more detail, kind of starting an audio podcast. I think that's a wonderful way, just to get your voice, just to start to master the art of being able to converse with whoever happens to be listening and find the way that you want to speak, that you're comfortable speaking. You're recording. You don't have to even put the audio out if necessary, but it'll take. 20 plus episodes before you get comfortable with what kind of show that you want to produce and this will relate to things like virtual summits or other live streams that you want to do in the future but unless you get that audio right to begin with then it's you're not forming the good base for what will be a, a good quality virtual summit in the future so th th things like um, a simple microphone like an ATR2100 or a Samsung QTU. Those are wonderful microphones that only cost about £50 each, but um, as long as you use them correctly, if you speak about three inches away from them with a wind uh, shield, windscreen, um, then, and you have a boom arm as well, then f for less than something like £80, then you have a decent quality um, recording kits that you can use to produce your first audio podcast. You know, from there, start to stage two is start to uh, produce your show more professionally and so if you're doing things like in post-production adding an intro adding an outro adding bumper noises editing the show a lot um, then try and do that as live so you don't have as much post-production work that you have to do think about perhaps upping your audio quality a little bit I've got a microphone called the Electro Voice RE20 that I, I, I really like. 
I highly recommend that most people use a dynamic microphone instead of a condenser microphone. Um, a dynamic microphone uh, essentially means that you have to be quite close to it, but it also means that it doesn't record um, all the background noise in a room. So if you've got a noisy computer or an air conditioner unit, then it's less likely to, to pick that up. So a dynamic microphones uh, are generally a good microphone for, for podcasters to get. Upping audio quality, I take my microphone into a, a voice channel um, strip that has um, a, a few different elements in there that just helps to enhance the audio quality. Things like um, ensuring that um, there's not too much mid-level in there. There's a little bit of compression. There's a tiny bit of de-essing in there. That, that's things that you shouldn't worry about to begin with to produce uh, a decent quality quality audio podcast but that's the next st step you know get comfortable doing that before moving on to video and then when you move on to video that means that you don't even have to think about audio quality it's second nature to be able to produce reasonable quality audio you can start to look directly into the camera there as well and uh, be aware of how you're coming across you can be aware of your background and your lighting and the quality of your your, your camera um, so get that right again before moving on to live streaming um, and then with the live streaming um, which is the fourth step there you can focus on the audience you can focus on the interaction you can look at comments and again you don't have to think about too much about your audio you don't have to think about too much about being able to also um, looking into the camera um, when you start when you finish um, occasionally when you reference people uh, as well because it, 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 you should be much more comfortable with doing that sort of thing. Um, so I wasn't by intention going through those steps, uh, but looking back on it, uh, that, that that's how I uh, successfully published the book, um, because the fifth step was the production of the, the virtual summits and getting all those people together on the events. You know, I've hosted events with 130 or so marketers on there over eight hours, as a result of doing all those podcasts and then funnily enough um, eight hours of audio content is roughly 60,000 words uh, which mm. is the average length of a book now I'm not suggesting that you just take a transcript and publish it as a book um, I ended up rewriting um, everything uh, to make it more readable but it's a good basis for a book yeah no, that's a really really structured logical process for producing quality because it's very easy to rush these things and hack things out but everybody's doing that uh, and there, there is enough rubbish out there yeah i think what you've described there is a process for producing quality at every step and it when your business is you and your personal brand that's essential um so i really like that thank you for sharing that that's all right you're, you're welcome yes it's it's important to up the quality game and i think interact natively on platforms as well i think too many people are still um, thinking publish everywhere mentality and not interacting natively on different platforms and understanding what consumers on different platforms really prefer and i think 2020 is the year of perhaps limiting the number of platforms you're on but producing quality content that is highly uh, highly appropriate for the platforms that you happen to be on and engaging with the audiences on on those platforms yeah so i would like to ask your opinion on something because i'm a member of a few facebook groups for podcasters 
And I see the same question coming up again and again, which is, I'm starting a podcast and I want to do a, and I'm making bunny ears now, video podcast. Okay. Now a podcast is an audio format, but what you described there about bringing that foundational competency into a live stream environment after you've become comfortable with recorded video. What experience have you had of trying to bring your pod podcast into a video audience and has it worked? Can you see a journey where that can work? Yeah, um, it, it can work. Um, I, I mean, I would say that a podcast is primarily an audio format, but of course, a, a, a podcast is simply um, a file that um, is um, included in an RSS feed. Um, so that could perhaps be a video file. It could even be um, uh, a, a PDF in theory, but um, but by and large, it's, it's an audio file. By and large, it's an MP3 file. I've tried producing um, an MP4 podcast, a video podcast as well that people can subscribe to. Uh, generally, that's not really worthwhile doing. Most people don't want to download massive uh, video files onto their phone. They'll prefer just to um, live stream. Of course, people download movies on Netflix or, or um, BBC iPlayer. But generally, to subscribe to a podcast, people will prefer to be subscribing to the audio form. That doesn't mean that video can't be used in producing a podcast. Um, so I've um, often live streamed um, as a way of producing the podcast. So I've got access to LinkedIn live streaming. So mm. uh, over the last six months or so, I've probably recorded at least 20 episodes live on LinkedIn. And LinkedIn, I've I've seen an awful lot of um, video views from. Um, so um, what, what I mean by that is, I mean, I've got a decent number of connections on LinkedIn, but I don't pay to promote at all. But whenever I go live on LinkedIn, I'll maybe get about 50 people interacting and watching live. And within 24 hours, I'll get about 2000 views. And that's without paying for anything at all and I think that's that's a really nice reach to have or organically b before you do anything so it can be a nice way of producing a podcast the downside to producing a podcast while live streaming is you can be slightly distracted by the live audience or focus on the video if you're not careful um, so I don't recommend to do that to begin with um, if you're taking your first step into podcasting obviously I'll always recommend producing audio first but if you're moving towards video and moving towards live streaming then I'd, I'd suggest um, go live um, perhaps with your guest and then for the first five ten minutes or so welcome people um, tell them what you're about to do. You're about to record a podcast episode. Get a few ideas, perhaps, for content for the episode. Write questions down. And then, for the period that you're recording your podcast, perhaps even just minimize your LinkedIn video or, or whatever platform you're, you're, you're broadcasting on and focus on the podcast. Record the podcast. And then go back to the live stream after you're finished recording the podcast and then perhaps interact with the audience a little bit more. That's... That that's a nice way to start with. Ideally, you'd probably move on to being aware of what people are saying during this the discussion, but you've got to make sure that it doesn't dis, uh, detract from the 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 quality the audio um, quality that you're trying to produce. That's really really useful, interesting, and I have one nerd question that I may edit out afterwards, but <laughs> I have to ask this. 
Um, whenever I've tried to use things like Zoom for recording a podcast interview, mm -hmm. the audio quality just isn't there. Um, so how would you advise maintaining the audio quality on the one hand and a live stream environment, which is inherently a low audio quality environment? Are you talking uh, about the audio quality of your guest or you or both? I think when people are watching a live stream, they're quite comfortable with a compressed audio sound. But when people are listening to an audio podcast, they want a quite high quality audio sound. I I, um, I think that um, um, I mean you can record your 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 guest as a, as a solo track from something like Zoom as well, or for, from any other live stream, and then you can record your own audio lo locally as well. I actually record my own locally, my own audio locally, on a Zoom H five external digital uh, audio recorder. So that goes kind of high, uh, records a high quality WAV file, um, mm. and I always. I always, um, for whatever podcast I'm producing, record my own audio on that. Um, sometimes I'll use um, an external service like Zencaster um, to record uh, my guests' audio um, look kind of locally um, as well as doing the live stream. That way I'll probably have a better quality um, audio recording of their audio. I have found, however, that um, often it doesn't select the right microphone and uh, I end up just using the my guest audio from YouTube or Zoom or, or whatever platform we're recording on. Okay, that all makes sense. Then I guess everything you've described so far, you there, there's an air of competency around everything you've discussed. And I'm really curious to know personally, which part of your business do you struggle with most? It's not not necessarily a fair question to drop on you. No, no. I mean, what, what, uh, what, 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 do you, what, what do you um, mean by struggle? Do you mean um, kind of not enjoy? Do you mean um, kind, of, kind of struggle to drive revenue from, or kind of struggle in some other way? I th I think where I'm coming from is, I should probably articulate this question better. But if you're not moving forwards, you're moving backwards. And in moving forwards, we have to learn new things, new skills, um, and learning new skills is painful and difficult. So I guess, where are you finding that you've got the most work to do right now? I, I think uh, my main struggle has always been ensuring that um, I just focused on a few things because I'm fairly competent in quite a few areas, having been involved with digital marketing for decades. <laughs> and um, that, you know, can be a positive, but it can be a challenge. And uh, I, I made the decision a few, um, maybe five years ago, to try and focus more on podcasting and webinars as my, uh, my, my core platforms. And now I'm focusing more on the brand marketing now and my domain name davidbain.com I've, I've got loads of other domains i've got loads of other little projects that i'm you know thinking of maybe doing in the future but i think i'm thinking more thoughtfully about how to integrate them together and if it's not a product or a service that will integrate with what i'm currently do and something that i can perhaps drive my existing audience towards then it's something that i need to seriously consider about whether or not I should be doing it. 
that makes a lot of sense. It's very hard to push lots of balls uphill at the same time. And the temptation is there because there's so many things we can be doing. It's just sometimes just because you can doesn't mean you should. And yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So with marketing now and the book, people are listening. What action would you like them to take on that, I guess? Because where can they buy the book? Well, probably the uh, easiest place online to give people is davidbain.com. Um, that'll forward at the moment uh, to davidbain.com slash marketing now, which is the landing page um, for the book itself. And there's links from there to um, to to Amazon in the UK and the, the USA to, 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 to buy the, the, the book. I um, It took me a long time to get that domain name and I'm really happy that I finally got it. I had to actually go into an auction on, on GoDaddy to get it a couple of months ago. Uh, I've been um, keeping my eye on it for, for at least, for, for, for the best part of 20 years probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I'll, I'll be focusing more on that domain and that website moving forward. Mm. And th- this is... Happy New Year. This is my, I've always been encouraged I should have a signature question at the end of the show. Um, And this is it. Okay. So I guess in terms of your business now, what's one thing that you do now that you wish you'd started doing five years ago? Wow. Okay. I, so I listened to uh, a couple of your podcast episodes. Um, just and this wasn't just there today, which wasn't there exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to um, to try and give um, a, a, the right piece of advice here. So, um, so, so what's what's one thing that I'm currently doing that um, did you wish you'd started five years ago? Should started five years ago. Um, yeah, I've done a lot of things. I think. It's it's more about consistency rather rather than something that I haven't done. Um, let's let's see. I was I was podcasting five years ago. Um, I was hosting these virtual live events f- five years ago. I think maybe focusing more on my personal brand and building one home for everything and understanding the value of traditional marketing as well as digital marketing the the value of branding and what consumers really think about you and um at every touch point that you have online you know whether or not it's um it's on your website or somewhere else is it consistent do people get a true reflection of you and who you are and um are you building that one little additional notch of authority um in each interaction that you're giving consumers i think still nowadays my content online perhaps because i've published it over the years is is very bitty and not necessarily sharing the same message or giving people the same experience so i think start to do a better job of tying everything together and creating more of a single brand identity given that i dropped this question on you from from a, a significant height you've given me a brilliant answer thank <laughs> you for that it took me a little while though david if people want to connect with you how would you like them to do that 
just go to davidbain.com. I, I also um, have David Bain as the handle on Twitter and David Bain on LinkedIn. So either of those platforms socially or davidbain.com, the website. And I'll put links to those and your book in the show notes. David, you've been a fantastic guest. Thank you so much for your time. And yeah, Happy New Year. Thanks for being my first of 2020. First of many. Well, thanks for um, having me on. Great to be on with you, Bob. Thanks again. I got a lot from this chat with David, and I hope you did too. It's very tempting to try and do everything at once, to be everywhere all the time. But it makes much more sense to do a few things really well. Before I go, just a quick reminder to subscribe, and if you haven't already, to join our Facebook group. You can find a link in the show notes or just hit amplifyme.fm forward slash insiders. If you're a regular listener, then I would love for you to connect with me on social media. Follow me on Instagram or Twitter where I'm at Bob Gentle. And if you do, then message me just so I can know and I can follow you back. If you enjoyed the show, then I would love for you to review it on iTunes. It would mean a lot to me and it's the very best way to help me reach more subscribers. My name's Bob Gentle. Thanks again to David for giving us his time this week and to you for listening and see you next week.